Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowen, Pastor Adam Osier continue their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at an Old Testament passage and its application. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary, establishing students in the eternal and inerrant Word of God for a life of faith in Jesus Christ and faithful service in His kingdom since 1964. Learn more and apply at flbc.edu. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. My name is Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by Pastor Jason Goodham and Pastor Adam Osier. All we, right, take two. <laughs> we are recovering from a first <laughs> in Adam's time on the podcast as we had to reboot an entire episode because we could not stop laughing at each other. And, uh, yes. And I want to be clear, it wasn't me. <laughs> you, it wasn't me. Of all the parties responsible, you were the least responsible. We, we for all had we a did. part in it. That's because true. I happened to know the reference of our Old Testament study today, he called me the Ken Jennings, that's Jason, calls right. me the Ken Jennings of Bible references, and I was pretty proud of myself for a moment, and then he said... They said, well, I call you Ken Jennings because you're white, awkward, and just a little bit Mormon. And it went downhill from there. And and then we, we started laughing, and, and we told Brett. Brett made one comment, and Jason yeah, says, we got to be done. <laughs> and Brett looked like this little child who had just been scolded as he reaches over to shut off the timer. Oh. And that broke me, because I had no intention of stopping the episode, but when Brett went to actually stop the episode, I could could not stop laughing. <laughs> and it, it hurts. So, so Brett, we are we are looking at uh, yes. the Old Testament passage today. Yeah, we are, and yes. it is from Jeremiah chapter seven. Uh, would you read that passage yes. for us? I would love to. Here it is. Uh, Jeremiah seven says, "The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord: Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say." Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another... If you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Here ends the reading of the word. Amen. 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 Well, yeah, so we're in Jeremiah 7, uh, as we talk about uh, Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession uh, uh, of the Mass. Yeah, most people who are not Adam Osier recognize the content of the passage before they recognize the reference, because I think most people have heard the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But it's it's just a great parallel to what came out of our discussion on Article 24, because uh, whereas with the Roman Catholic Church and then by proxy everything that the generic American Church has been doing for the last 50 to 75 years, the entire temple had become a talisman for the Jews of Jeremiah's time, that it was, as long as we have the temple, that's our good luck charm and no harm will befall us. And of course, we know that the prophet Jeremiah doesn't have a whole lot of good news to preach. Mm-hmm. The the you know the tie into the 
to the article is the Roman Catholic Church was kind of treating the sacrament the same way. You know, that we have this, we have the temple, we, ha- or we, we have, excuse me, we have the bread and the wine, we have the bread and the wine, we have the bread and the wine, and the Latin mass, and we have all these things, and now these people, these, these Lutherans are, are turning around and usurping, you know, this mass and twisting it, making it something new. Um, and the Lutheran argument is, no, you're, you're treating it like Jeremiah says not to do in Jeremiah chapter seven. Uh, that's exactly what we're talking about. One thing as we get going here, I, and I want to hear Jason's take on this. As we look at this, <clears throat> the thing that stands out to me as I'm reading this text just by itself, right? So Jeremiah is to proclaim and say, hear the word of the Lord, you who enter these gates to worship the Lord. So he's, he's at the temple saying, mm-hmm. hey, you guys are all here saying this, but, yeah. uh, and, and he says, thus says the Lord of hosts. And then the call is law. It's all law, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Amend your ways. And then it's something interesting. And I think that there's some some uh, exegetical points to be made here. But it says in verse 3, amend your ways and your deeds. And so it's kind of a conditional sentence, it seems like, right? If you amend your ways, I will let you dwell in this place is the implied condition there. So how do we reconcile passages like this one. I know this is not where we were headed necessarily in terms of the connection to Article 24, but I do think that we should unpack this for our listeners because that's one of those passages and thinking, oh man, I need to do this. I need to clean myself up. I need to amend my ways and be just and be better before I come in our context to the Lord's Supper. I need to clean myself up. And we just said last week, that's not what we're to do. And he echoes that again in verse seven, you know, verses five through seven is again, you know, if you amend your ways, verse seven, then I will let you dwell in this place. Yeah. If you execute justice, don't oppress the sojourner, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a matter of law and gospel, really, when it comes down to it, as all things in scripture are. But as a matter of law and gospel, w- the commentary that God is making through Jeremiah is that they are claiming the benefits of the temple and the presence of God without having anything to do with the word of God. And, and so the reason why... God condemns them is because they're not doing these things. So if you look at the list of verse five and six, you know, if you truly amend your ways and your deeds and you execute justice and you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other guards to your own harm, the temple is of no value to those who are faithlessly acting in their lives. And that's the problem that their corrupt behavior flows from their idolatry, which means that they're not using the temple for the reasons that God gave them the temple, which was the presence of the Lord. Uh, I think the really interesting phrase in these first seven verses of Jeremiah 7 is actually, I will let you dwell in this place. And where the point is missed is that God was already dwelling in that place, that the temple is the place where God had caused his name to dwell and where he had revealed his presence. And what he is saying is that the people of Israel have no place with him without repentance. Mm-hmm. And that the amend your ways comes over and over and over again. And to compare what was going on in the Reformation and what's going on in modern 21st century American Christianity is if the sacraments or the divine service or whatever becomes a talisman or a good luck charm, we have no business associating with the God of the universe because there's no actual repentance. And so 
in the, in the time of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences to the point that the wealthy would buy the forgiveness of sins ahead of time to excuse their sin. In fact, much the same way the wealthy today purchase carbon credits <laughs> when they know they're taking their private jet to some place. It's like, oh, if I can pay for it, then haha, see, I'm better for the environment kind of a thing. Uh, and uh, in the way the, the modern American church also does the same thing where we are denying the presence of God with some other type of behavior that is completely contrary to it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we, we can sell indulgences to cover it. We can sell good works to cover it, whatever the case might be. But God says, my presence is here. And your presence here is only possible through repentance. The amend your ways mm-hmm. is the repentance right. part of it. Mm-hmm. I think it's of note, too, that, that who is Jeremiah talking to? He's talking about people going to the temple. He's ta- and it's not a, a nationalistic like view that just because... there. Yeah, yeah. He's talking to the people who had the promises of God and the word of God and who should have known better. I think it's a very similar, in one sense, um, kind of argument that James makes in James chapter 2 when the he talks about works. faith without yeah. works is dead. Um, and, and I think that's this is a very comparable Old Testament um, mm-hmm. you know, parallel to this. And in James, the whole, the whole point is you are, are expected as people of faith to execute uh, works of faith, not works of law in order to be saved, but the fruit that flows from that. And, and he's saying, do that. And we, we talked about it in seminary, and I think you guys probably remember this. We had a professor for, the, for that class, at least, at least J- Jason and I, maybe you and I did, um, where he said, couch potato Christianity is what's in view here. And I don't know if you had yeah, that as no, well, but that yeah. couch potato Christianity and that he's saying, you know, be aware. It's not to get saved. It's not to clean yourself up before you come here. It's to live like people who belong here through the word proclaimed, through the through the invitation of the Holy One. Live live like that. Live in consistent mm-hmm. um, harmonization with your yep. faith in in the one who whose temple this is, to go back to Jeremiah. Yeah, and I I think even verse 4, there is a a call to um, repentance of a false idolatry or false belief, um, which, you know, is part of leading, you know, you kind of think about what's the flip side, you know, don't trust in these deceptive words, uh, but what are they to trust in? And and that's kind of the the, The, the message. The presence of God, not the temple of God. Right, yep. You know, I think you had a great insight, uh, Adam, that the way... God in the Old Testament preaches to the Ninevites is completely different than the way he preaches to the people who have his word. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Jonah, you know, walks into Nineveh, whether or not you buy the interpretation that he's, you know, glowing white from, uh, you know, whale bile <laughs> or whatever <laughs> uh, it is. And, and he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown and everyone freaks out and they stop slapping each other in the face with fish. And then... Uh, um, Shout out vegetables. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he preaches to the Israelites and there's a lot more context and it's a lot more specific and it's a lot more damning. Mm-hmm. And you brought up uh, James 2... I think this is parallels, and I think it's Matthew or Luke, or maybe Matthew and Luke's gospel, where Jesus addresses the Pharisees. He's like, you hypocrites, you tithe mint and cumin and dill, mm-hmm. 
uh, and you should have kept doing this, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, which is mercy and justice mm-hmm. and compassion. That's and, Matthew 23. There's my at, there Ken Jennings Ken reference Jennings, ways. Way to be. Uh, yeah. and, <laughs> I now know who that is. I, I did not <laughs> Brett know had to Google Brett was it. completely Google. in the dark yeah. on that That's how joke. pure and innocent yeah. Yeah. Brett is. He doesn't even watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Just not game shows. Right. Okay, so we're Brett back doesn't gamble. Mint oh. and Dylan Cumin. <laughs> yeah. But the the idea here isn't that he's just rebuking them with the law. The idea here is yeah. that their faith makes no impact on their life. And, and what's interesting is uh, coming up in September now, uh, I will be teaching a class at the Bible College uh, on the theology of the Christian life. And the first third or half of that class, from my perspective, we're going to be laying down the basic foundations of the faith because the point is, if you're not living out what you believe, you can't, there is no theology of the Christian life. There is no way to live the Christian life. And that's exactly what God is saying here. The, the entire life of those who believe in God, are, it's based on his merciful presence, And if God's merciful presence doesn't cause us to love our neighbor, something's wrong. And and that is marked in the Old Testament with the way the Jews were behaving right before the time of the exile, which is Jeremiah's period. It's marked in the New Testament by Jesus and the Pharisees and then Paul and the Judaizers. And it's marked throughout time that we want faith to one, be a measurement of what we do, but only what we want done for God And then we want these good luck assurances that everything else doesn't matter. And so you have these people piously claiming, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And and God is saying to them, you're not just, you're not uh, looking out for the less fortunate, uh, you're actually shedding innocent blood, you know, all the opposites of what he commands them not to do. And how am I to expect that you are living life as my children? It's not do these things and you will be my children. That that's the wrong interpretation of the passage. Yeah. So in, in scripture, and this is true in just even English, I mean, just modern English, conditional sentences function in different ways. Um, in, in you read something like this, um, you know, amend your ways and your deeds. Uh, that is the, you know, the if statement, basically. The prodesis. The prodesis, if you want to use wow. that. And the apodesis, nice. the second oh, statement, man, the then statement is, I will let you dwell in this place. If you take that first statement, the apodesis, and make it a cause, that would mean that the, that amending your ways and your deeds are the cause of God letting you, the effect of God letting you dwell in this place, cause effect. But interestingly enough, there is another way that we use it in England. We do it all the time without thinking about it is the way where that relationship between the protasis and apotasis, the if then statements, you know, the Sounds if like statements. dinosaurs. Yeah, it does. Hippopotamus. Hip- <laughs> Brett's Brett, so young, so pure. Um, the, uh, the ways and the deeds. Okay, so that, that first if statement and then the second then statement, if it's the relationship is evidence inference, this is what it would sound like. Amend your ways and your deeds, or if you amend your ways and your deeds, if that's the evidence, then I will let you live in this place. The inference, the inference that's made that I'm going to let you live in this place because you're living consistently with what you have been called to be. And I think when we understand that relationship of if statements to then statements or conditional sentences, as we call them, or 
the apodosis and, you know, uh, prodosis, excuse me, and apodosis. apodosis, and hippopotamus. Yes. If you understand conditional sentences functioning in a different way than cause and effect, we start to understand that this is how, this is the, who you are. Live this way. Exactly. This is who you are, therefore live this way. And, and we do that, and the call to repentance still stands. Mm-hmm. Right, the, yeah. the the need and and you see that language all over the Old Testament. The the circumcise your hearts and not your flesh language that pops up in the Psalms a couple times and in the prophets a couple times. It's never about the outward work. It's always about what the outward work points to. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I want to avoid the language of sign and and things like that because the the article is talking about the sacraments, mm-hmm. right? But if the, the Roman Catholic Church is coming at the sacraments at the angle that they are beneficial just because we do them. And the American Church is coming at the sacraments in that they are what we do for God rather than what God does for us. It still stands that you're off base because it's the reality of who God is and what he has done that brings about our repentance causes us to be in his presence and then is expressed in turn in our love for neighbor. Yeah. And, and that's what the passage looks like. Now, what I was trying to get at before when I blanked on it, my, my criticism uh, of the American church in this is that you have in the worship service of the American church, this desire to be in the unmediated presence of God. And that's the same sort of thing as the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. So you will find, oh, they are fewer and farther between now than they were, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. You will find this earnest, almost eccentric desire to be in the presence of the Lord. But you're always trying to get into the presence of the Lord without the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and so like we talked last episode about sincerity and it's suddenly my sincerity to be with God. That is enough for me to be with God. And God says, no, no. And in, in truth, we do that all the time in Christianity because we will excuse our sins based on our sincerity. We'll excuse our sins based say that again we excuse our sins based on our sincerity so yeah this thing i don't do to I love my it. neighbor doesn't matter because i really earnestly want to be with jesus sure mm. that, that's i think that's interesting because it's absolute this is absolutely applicable to today yeah um and and what you're saying i think of a variety of, of examples. One of them is is Chris Farley. Uh, Brett, you have to probably Google him because it's not. I do know who Chris Farley okay. is. Yes, yes. The uh, Chris Farley guy. and Ken Jennings are like the same person, yeah. <laughs> you know, except for the body mass index. But, but yeah. the uh, the thing that was said about Chris Farley, who I love by the way, his his comedy was just I, I really appreciated it as a kid. I, I don't know if I would anymore. I don't, I don't. But he was he was hilarious. Loved it. But he was a man <clears throat> deeply addicted to alcohol and other kinds of drugs. But specifically, I think that the abuse of alcohol l- contributed to his very untimely death. Uh, but it was said of Chris Farley that even in the midst, he'd, he'd go out, he'd drink a bottle of vodka on Saturday night, but he'd be uh, you know, at, at mass on Sunday morning and sometimes beforehand. And th- that's what stood out to me is sometimes I know I'm going to go do this. And so I'm going to go to mass so that afterwards, you know, I'm you know, taken care of. And it's this idea that somehow just a, a working of the work, a talisman aspect, uh, I'm in the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, all of that language comes into play. And we do this all the time. I, I make fun of Chris Farley, or not make fun, but I, I use him as the illustration. 
I've had friends who've said the same thing. I had friends who, whose uh, parents said when we were going to go out on a Friday night during Lent and we were going to eat steaks. These steaks were huge, by the way. I mean, just like <laughs> massive steaks at yeah. this little little restaurant in rural North Dakota. These, these ribeyes were like 40 to 60 ounces. And we would go up there, put down a side salad, put down a... Speaking of sinning, the gluttony was the problem. It had nothing to do with the meat. I never thought of it like this. But the, my, my yeah. friend who's Cali, his parents were like, well, and, and, and literally this is what she's, his mom said, if you want to go to hell, that's your problem. And, and we're like, whoa. And I think the comment he made was, I'll go to mass and I'll take, you know, yeah, I'll take communion and I'm covered. Um, not that there's anything wrong with eating meat on Friday. That's a whole other, that's, that's an upcoming yeah. <laughs> uh, arc of <laughs> Article, episodes yeah. we'll talk about. I, <laughs> I should gonna, have waste, shouldn't have wasted that there. Yeah. Where we're going to talk about the filet fish <laughs> That's right. My point, that, that's a great commercial. The filet of fish, you know, wow. the, with the fish. Uh, anyway, poor Adam. Yes. yes. Uh. Anyway, so where was I? Oh, yes. But we do the same thing today. The point is, this isn't new. This isn't something fresh for us that we are unaccustomed to. And, and interestingly enough, we point fingers a lot, right? We point fingers at the mm-hmm. Catholics or the generic American Church. I think all of us innately, because of our old nature, struggle with this very same thing all the time. We want to justify ourselves. We want to somehow think. Ah, I'm, I'm going to be good. I look for this experience. If I do this, if I do this, if I do this. And sometimes we church it up so much, we don't even know we're saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. But that's exactly what we're doing because we're tr- we're trying to enter into, uh, what was the word? With, uh, the, the presence experience, of the Lord. The presence yep. of the Lord without the blood of Christ. Yep. Mm-hmm. And ultimately... Unmediated presence of God. Yep. That That is absolutely... I'm guilty of that at times. And, yep. and I think... I think we we have to be called into question. It's, it's Jeremiah standing at the gate saying, "Hey, listen up! This you think you think you're going to mend your ways? Now nah, you're, you're not actually. You're not even you're not even close. You need to to change and understand the context. You need to get the cart before the horse." Or, <laughs> The, yeah, ho- cart the horse before the, yeah. Horse before yeah, the cart. The horse before, before the, cart. the cart is what you want, yeah. right? No, the yeah. cart before the horse is how we do it, though. Yeah. And it, the whole thing, you're absolutely right. The whole thing is who among us doesn't do this? Who among us, when we come under the conviction of sin, our, the, the first response of our sinful nature is to go out and do something good to cancel it out, to dull the sting of the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not repentance. It, it, it's not to... Uh, you know, cry out to God for mercy. It's that, well, I'll go help a little lady cross the street or whatever the case might be so that I feel better about myself. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, we're doing okay. And and then, you know, the last cry of an unrepentant Christian heart is God's on my side anyway. It doesn't matter. And that's the temple mm-hmm. of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And we see this over and over and over again. And it's like putting a cheap Walmart Band-Aid on a severed artery. <laughs> you know, it's not going to it's not going to do anything. But that's it. We think that those cheap Band-Aids are going to be enough. And we satisfy ourselves, you know, with that assurance, which is absolute garbage. Yeah. Good. Do you guys want to comment on the, uh, as we start to wind down here, I don't know if it'd be good to just ignore this, but just uh, all the things that they're called to do uh, here. Um, it sounds very, you know, the things that are in our modern consciousness right now of executing justice, hmm. uh, n- do not oppress, uh, sojourner, fatherless widow. Um, just any comments on that 
well, sort of topic here. It's a reiteration of Micah 6, 8. Yeah. Uh, and, and really, Micah and Jeremiah are familiar with each other. Jeremiah quotes Micah. Uh, I should say Jeremiah is familiar with Micah because Jeremiah came after Micah. So, you know, what does God love? You know, what does he require but to, to love justice and to know mercy, mercy and walk humbly yep. with your God? That's exactly what he says here in verses 5 and 6. Mm-hmm. What, what this is is a matter of a vocation yep. that finds its end in... Uh, fulfilling the first commandment, you know? So when this breaks down, the way we treat our neighbor is a direct byproduct of our own idolatry. And so the inverse of that is also true, that our love for neighbor is a direct byproduct of being rightly oriented with God. That's the flow of verses yeah. five, six, and seven. Good. That, you know, we have, do this for your neighbor, says execute justice, do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, uh, do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own heart. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a correlation there, yeah. right? And that's what we're looking at, is that this, what has happened is that the idolatry of the Israelites has caused all of the other things to break down. Uh, if we're not right with God, if we do not have a rightly reoriented relationship to God by faith... We have no idea what justice is. Yeah, there's no mm-hmm. way to know what justice is. There's no way to be rightly oriented to your neighbor, because even if you're nice, even if you're Gandhi or you know whatever, that you are still doing good works for your own credit. And you're still standing before God with the dirty diaper of your righteous deeds saying, isn't this good enough? Mm-hmm. And it's not. Instead of the vehicle through which Christ works. Exactly. In the life of the poor, the needy, the suffer- the, the, father, the fatherless, and the widow. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think that's an interesting little nugget tucked in here, too. I, I loved how you uh, walked through that. Um, all right, well, maybe we should wrap up here. Um, any closing comments on this passage? I would just say in, in regard to justice, and this is going to probably get us uh, emails if anybody's still listening at this point, uh, you know, but the idea, I think sometimes when we think of justice, um, you know, we, we talk about it in terms of our cultural view of it. And we talk about it in terms of the hot button issues of today and everything. But I think if we view justice through the lens of a right relationship with Christ forged by his blood shed on the cross, if we're in that right relationship, it's only then that we're ever going to truly find what justice is all about anyway. We can talk about justice for this or that person, but it's it unless unless Christians hear the word of God as, as we are called to hear and, and live in the right way with the, with the horse before the cart, the horse pulling the cart, right? We're not going to be able to, to even know what justice is. We're going to be clamoring around like a, a bunch of you know, noisy gongs in society with no moorings, no bearing to what true justice really is. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 24 of the Augsburg Confession, looking at a New Testament passage and its application. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.